here in the boondocks today. We're talking about Eddie Lee Sexton and the Coons family murders. This is Bad in the Boondocks, baby. Welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Stan. And I'm Drew. And we just want to say we really appreciate each and every one of those great ratings that we've had. And if we can respond back to you, we do. We cannot on iTunes, though, but we love the ratings on iTunes five stars. Yeah. But like if it's on CastBox or another platform where we can respond, we do respond back to you. But we can't on iTunes, so... That's why we don't, but we do really appreciate them. It really helps uh, out our little show to get bigger or to get more known. Mm-hmm. So if y'all would please go to iTunes and review us five stars, please, we would really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Second, I'm just, I am stoked in less than two weeks, I think. We're going to the TrueCon Podcast Festival, baby. I'm so excited to meet other podcasters that we've interacted with and hopefully some people that listen to us, some fans, if you want to call yourself that. Or we'll call you friends. We'll call you the boondockers with us. Yeah, the dockers. (laughs) But if you are going and you're a boondocker, let us know. We want to know if you're going. It would be so awesome if you are. We want to meet you. Yeah, that'd be cool. And I hope you want to meet us. We'd be so sad if you didn't. Okay. All <laughs> Awkward right. silence. All right. <laughs> I think, but please do go to um, whatever platform you listen on. Please do review. Just if you would please take out just that little bit of time, it really will help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's doo doo heads time to go first. Really. I couldn't come up with it. Really? <laughs> you had to come up with that. Do do head. That's like the worst. Dodo bird. <laughs> Dodo bird. Yeah. No, um, what did what mom call me this morning? Um, chicken leg. No, not that. Um, she called big you, bird. She called me big, big no, bird. No, actually, she called you chicken legs. Yeah, well, I you told called you me it was big, big bird. bird. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I don't care. But, anyways, so and you do always do that noise. I'm not doing it. Do it right now. No, I'm what fine. you always do. I don't want to just or something, just like a bird. Yes, that. It's okay. so retarded, though. It's like I've got Tourette's or something. I do not. You heard it first. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Show your mouth, dude. Okay. Is it my turn to go first? It is your turn. All right. Well, um, I'm going to be talking about Eddie Lee Sexton. Anyways, um, Eddie if Lee. If you want to know what the pause was, <laughs> he was doing a very vulgar motion with his tongue <laughs> after saying Sexton. <laughs> How was that? Oh God! <laughs> okay. Um, you want me to get into? I it? want you to go. Okay. Eddie Lee Sexton was born near rural Logan, West Virginia, 
to a family of coal miners. His father was a part-time Baptist preacher. The day after marrying his pregnant 15-year-old girlfriend in 1963, he committed armed robbery of a gas station and was sentenced to five years in state prison for robbery. So that was Eddie, right? Yes. Okay. And his wife, well, she filed for a divorce after giving birth to their son named Patrick. She obviously did not go by that song, Stand By Your Man. No, she did not. Mm-hmm. Now, he sort of just brushed this off and got back into the dating game. Eddie then married Acela May, and they would have 12 children together. You know how many that is, though? 12. That's how many. <laughs> come out, I'm just saying, to come out, you know because how many that is? Because you said 12. <laughs> that's how I know. Yeah, but that's 12, dude. I coming, think it's 6 plus 6. Coming out of that woman, you know she's got to be tired. Tired? Yeah. Her, her poon ain't got to be tired. That's what's got to be tired. Because oh, so. I'm telling you, it only going to snap back and... It's not a few snap times. Back. I don't think it keeps snapping it's not, back. It's not going to snap back. I mean, I'm not a female, and I don't know, so you don't have to email me telling me no. I'm wrong. But I think the big old heads be coming out. It's not going to completely snap back. For sure. Mm-hmm. Eddie and Stella they settled in Stark County, Ohio. People's first impression of Eddie was charming and polite, but those who got to know him well saw that he was a con artist and a poser. He did receive Social Security disability payments because of his allegedly seriously injured back. Probably because of all the sex he was having, he injured it. Yep. I would have, well, I don't know anything else but that, but could she be. She probably was riding him. Mm-hmm. She, was she heavy set? I'm not sure. I meant because if he was real skinny and she was real heavy, <laughs> you've got to watch out about that. You That's, need a back brace on to do they, it. They need to have a little warning on there, you know, too, right. too heavy for the pushing. For the pushing? <laughs> I'm talking about for the rocking. <laughs> for real. Well, he also worked for cash as a painter and a handyman. He was suspected of insurance fraud because of setting three fires at his homes in the 1980s and faking burglaries and false <laughs> and falsely reporting stolen items. Eddie briefly worked as an independent Christian preacher in the 1970s. He was used like very weird and made up scriptures that talked about sex in which he used to intimidate his children. But um journalists Lowell Caffiel wrote, Eddie Lee Sexton certainly maintained his own place of worship, but nobody could figure out what gospel he was preaching. A little general occult, a little fundamentalism, a little Satan, uh, Satanism, a little sci-fi, unquote. A neighbor of Eddie's, Augusta Houston, would report that Eddie claimed to worship both God and the devil. The Sexton children would later come out and describe Eddie and Estella as committing extreme acts of abuse almost daily. All of the children were sexually abused by both parents. They were beaten and locked up in their rooms for minor infractions and routinely suffered other indignities. The Sexton children did attend public schooling and Eddie would allow only one friend each for them to have but they were not allowed to visit the friends' homes, and the friends were not allowed to visit their home. 
The Sexton children believed that their father had supernatural powers, such as telepathy and the ability to summon ghosts or spirits. The children were sexually active among themselves. Sometimes it was sensual, and sometimes it was by force. Eddie staged mock wedding ceremonies with several of his daughters as preludes to his rapings. His children would later tell that Eddie conducted these events as a seance-like ceremony involving a dead cat and forcing the children to sign contracts in their own blood, stating that they would go to hell if they disobeyed him. Eddie got his own teenage daughter pregnant. Her name was Estella, but she was known as Pixie to the family because her and the mother had the same name. He encouraged her to find a boyfriend to take the suspicion off of him. Pixie then met Joel Good, and he was one of her high school classmates. He would be described as slow-witted and overly trusting. They had an on-and-off romance and eventually married despite the speculations of Joel's family about his marrying of a young woman who had two girls, Dawn and Shasta. Maybe Shasta. No, I think it's Shasta. (laughs) I've heard of Shasta before. (laughs) Shut your mouth. (laughs) Anyways, um, after the wedding, they gave birth to a boy, and his name was Skipper Lee Good. Skipper, Skipper. Oh, how's how's going, name. Skipper? That was his first name, Skipper? Yeah. What's wrong with that? There's not a thing wrong with it. The Excuse me, there's not a thing with it. Is that close enough? Well, maybe if you come up closer to the mic. I'm trying to hide my drink. Good Lord. From Because you always fuss about me drinking. Never mind. Okay, come on. God, I can't do nothing right. <laughs> Shasta. <laughs> Start calling you Shasta. (laughs) The Sexton household had been long suspected of abusing and neglecting their children. I think you picked this story just so you could say Sexton a lot. No, I didn't, actually. Thank you. Get off my case. I'm not on your case, or you wouldn't be able to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Sorry. County officials maintain a case file on the family from 1979, but lack of evidence led them to take no further action in this. In early 1992, his daughter, Michelle, who is now 18 years old, informed employees at a women's shelter that her father had raped her. At the time of her allegation, six of the sex and children were minors, and authorities launched an investigation on them. Three of the young children reported nothing unusual, but three others reported that they had been physically abused by their parents. These three children were removed from the home and assigned to foster families, pending further investigation. Michelle then retracted her allegations, which complicated the case. Why would she like? Why would she tell the authorities that? You know, this happened, and then... I think that maybe she got scared, like, they probably... She got, yeah, she probably... They because, probably, I mean, you think about it... They you, probably threatened her. But I'm saying, if you go and you you tell on them, well, you're still living with them. That's true. So, I so mean... So, they probably, like, forced her to go and They should retract. immediately take you out the home to protect you. 
until further investigation. She's 18, so. I don't care if she's 28. Well, you 18 and you still up in this house? I'm saying like they said that employees at a women's shelter. Oh, oh, so she was at a shelter. Yeah, she was at like a shelter. Somebody got her, I think. I think somebody got to her. Mm -hmm. I do. Or either she went back. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, somebody got to her. Yeah, that's what happened. Anyways. We are so smart. We're so freaking smart, I swear. And we're not even high. Nope. The other we day come, at night, we, we, we were stuff. even talking about, we we like totally freaking- Off of the blue, dude. Yes, out of the blue. <laughs> but we- Area 51, Yes, man. we got it all down. We know exactly about Area 51, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the secrets of Vegas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not even high, I knew it. Real. Telling you. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Eddie filmed a hour video on VHS denying the charges that were brought against him and claimed that he was the victim of persecution of his brother Otis, Otis, who had cooperated with authorities. To plead his case, Eddie mailed copies of this video directly to President Bill Clinton and Attorney, oh, Jesus. And attorney <laughs> General Janet Reno. Like, they're actually going to... I swear you can see. Mr. Clinton, I just want to say that this abuse is not true. The government is I did not have sexual relations (laughs) with my daughter. (laughs) I feel like that's how it all went down. And I get it down. (laughs) For real. Talking about Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky went down. Okay. Okay. (laughs) After, After seven months. Of living with her foster family, Lena Sexton told her foster parents that her birth mother, Esther, had sexually abused her. Oh. This was confirmed by a medical exam that found vaginal scarring consistent with her story. From the mother? Yeah, obviously she like stuck stuff up there. It had to, besides the tongue. For real. Well, a tongue wouldn't cause vaginal scarring, would it? Unless, Unless it's a big it's old rough. tongue. A very big tongue. Yeah. Very big heart tongue. Yeah. <laughs> okay, continue. Okay, okay. We're not always no. smart. <laughs> <laughs> no. Stark County authorities took action to take custody of all the minor Sexton children. Eddie and Estella fought back with legal motions designed to slow down the court process. Well, they were trying to prove Native American ancestry so that they could shift the criminal case to a tribal court. What the crap? Tribal court? Hell, they'll be done uh, tomahawk jazz. For real. (laughs) Shooting with the um, arrow or something, man. When these actions were denied, the Sextons went on the run. Eddie and Estella took their three minor children. Several of their adult children came along, including Joel and Pixie, and Pixie's three young children. So in total, um, 11 people lived in a cramped van as they went across the country. In a van? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How? I would have... They must be stacked. Three, six... Well, like a van, so... Nine. I can see 11 people riding scrunched up in a van. But like... How do you live? How do you do that? I don't know. Well, they first went to Oklahoma with Eddie's relatives for several months. Then they relocated to campsites at 
Little Manatee River State Park on the western coast of Florida. Eddie forced the children to engage in military drills in anticipation of a showdown with law enforcement. Then the Sexton children began drinking heavily and inhaling gasoline fumes. How does that get you high? I suppose it probably would. I just feel like that would be like disgusting. Inhaling gasoline fumes. But you love smelling gas. Oh, wait, that's Not no natural more. gas from assholes. <laughs> no. Otherwise known as farts. No. <laughs> no. I, you sniff <laughs> Let them. Let me tell you something. No, you sniff I, them all the I time. I walked in to the bathroom to try to go use the bathroom, and I saw him <laughs> bending over at his, you are at his such ass. A, you are such a liar. <laughs> That is such a lie. It ain't even funny. Smelling his own gas. You are such a liar. I was like. You need to go on with your story because that was such a lie. I was like, what are you doing? Oh, my God. That's a lie. I was like, I'm not doing nothing. Oh, shut up and go on. Liar, Anyways, liar. Eddie then drove back to Ohio every two weeks to cash his disability checks. Ohio courts issued arrest From Florida? Warrants. What? He drove all the way from Florida? Do you not remember me saying they were traveling the country? Oh, I thought they went to Florida, though. And they were in Florida on the West Coast. No, they first... Wait a second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were... Yeah, then, yeah, they... Um, He drove to Ohio from Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways... Ohio courts did issue arrest warrants, but the case had a relatively low priority and was not initially well publicized because a family court rules to protect the anonymity, anonymity of anonymity yeah, of child abuse victim. So basically, don't be emailing saying he can't read anonymity. Okay, anonymity. he was just fooling you to see if you were yeah, listening. Yeah, I was just seeing if you were listening, buddy. On October the 19th, 1993, Pixie mothered her son Skipper to death. Holy shit. The child had been ill for some time, and Eddie refused to allow a doctor to visit, and Pixie later claimed that her father ordered her to silence the crying child to avoid drawing attention to the campsite where the family lived in isolation. I'm sorry, but I feel like 11 or 12 people in a van... That will bring sort of, attention would on bring its attention. own. That would, I think so. Imagine if everybody had gas in one night. I'm talking about spelling for it, would just be, it would be horrible. They would die. They'd just go everywhere. They would die. It'd be like carbon dioxide poisoning. <laughs> what, the, what is that? <laughs> that was pretty good. That was stupid as hell, dude. <laughs> okay, go. Pixie carried the corpse with her for f- several days believing that her father had the power to resurrect her child. Well, he didn't have the power to shut up the crying. Nope, so why would he have the power to resurrect him? But They did eventually bury the son in a peat moss area near the campsite. Pixie told Joel that her son had died from sudden infant death syndrome. But Joel was suspicious. I would be too. But on... <laughs> Well, good for you. You are sharp, I'm telling you. <laughs> Thank Nothing you. Nothing gets past you, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. On November 30th, 1993, Joel and Pixie visited the library at the University of Tampa, where librarian Gail Novak assisted him. Did in- you say the University of Tampon? 
No, no, of Tampa. Oh. Um, Gail Novak did assist them um, in finding information about SIDS. 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 Whatever you want to call it. Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie stormed into the library, furious that Joel and Pixie had visited there without his permission. Novak would later say that she saw Eddie assault Joel and Pixie in the library, and that she overheard an argument. <laughs> Quit mocking me <laughs> with your mouth. How dare you? You're just like, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> on. go. Quit speaking while I'm speaking. I did. You keep moving your mouth while I'm moving my mouth. Okay. Maybe I'm breathing. Well, anyways, Juvenate. Novak said that Eddie assaulted Joel and Pixie in the library. In the library. And yeah. you're supposed to be quiet in the library. Exactly, you are. And that she overheard an argument between her father and daughter. When Pixie said that Joel was heartbroken over his death and wanted to go back to Ohio, Eddie replied that the only way Joel will return to Ohio was as a corpse. Novak reported this incident to campus police, but it was dismissed as a prank. A prank? Why would that be a prank, though? At Little Manatee State Park, they met Ray Hesser, who was, tra- Ray Hesser, who was traveling cross-country in a luxurious motorhome. Oh, I bet you they would love that. Yeah. They came up with a plan. Well, they would use Pixie to seduce Hester hoping to eventually kill the man, drain his bank accounts, and steal his vehicle. He was initially friendly towards the Sextons, but then Hester grew, Hester grew suspicious of them and lied about his travel plans to avoid them. Eddie then trained his son, Willie, to strangle... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Willie? Yeah, Willie. His son, Willie. <laughs> Well, he, he um he trained him to strangle someone in preparation to kill Joel. The Willie Strangled. <laughs> the, the Willie Strangler. <laughs> Willie Strangled. <laughs> you never shove it. Never shove it. No, no. He strangled 24-year-old Joel to death between the time of Thanksgiving and Christmas, 1993. So Joel with the luxurious... Thing was only 24. Joel did not have the luxurious motorhome. That guy left because he oh, was Joel suspicious. was the boyfriend. Joel was the boyfriend. Was uh, and yes, Joel was the husband of Pixie. Pixie. I thought that, that was boyfriend. Or or well, no, Pixie, aka, but her real name's Estella, the same as the mother, but aka Pixie. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So they were married. Yes. I forgot that part. They buried Joel in a swamp not far from Skipper's grave. Eventually, the FBI issued a national arrest warrant for Eddie and Estella Sexton. A national arrest warrant for Eddie and Estella Sexton. Okay. For unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. So were they brother and sister? I don't think so. No, they were not. Dad and daughter. I'm not. Or I'm dad not, and wife. No, I'm not so sure. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, um, they were arrested in Florida <laughs> on January 14th, 1994, after authorities 
PS4? No. I did not. Did you? Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. Did you? You did, didn't you? I promise I did. I did not fart. That was you, I would bro. tell you if I did. <laughs> oh, shit. You oh, wouldn't know God. if I did. Dude, I'm about to die over here. They won't be passing the gas. <laughs> oh, that wasn't me, though. That was I didn't you. do nothing. I heard a squeak. Oh, my gosh. That might have been your poon any squeaking. Because you're acting like Whatever, dude. <laughs> they were arrested in Florida on January 14th, 1994. 1994, after authorities traced them by a Florida zip code on one of the Sexton's self-produced video cassettes. That they had mailed to Janet Reno. They're so stupid. They are really stupid. You so dumb. We you gonna so find, dumb. We gonna you find, so stupid. We gonna find you. We gonna find you. We know you. We, we You so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that thing was so freaking funny. The minor children were taken into custody, whereas the adult sex and children were released. Investigation and questioning would reveal that there were other crimes involved beyond the child abuse warrants for Estella. Pixie's daughters, Don and Shasta, both showed signs of repeated sexual abuse, and Don identified Willie and Scott Sexton as her abusers. Interviews uncovered the death of Skipper, which was first blamed on SIDS, though Eventually, Pixie did take responsibility for his death. The Sextons all initially insisted that Joel had departed for Ohio, but eventually Willie confessed to killing him at Eddie's command. Authorities found Skipper and Joel's bodies where they had been buried and unintentionally preserved in unusually good condition in the peat moss. During interviews, all the sex and children showed signs of psychiatric problems. Eventually, investigators came to believe that Eddie was the mastermind of the entire Sexton family. In February 1994, Pixie was charged with first-degree murder for killing Skipper. However, um, they later allowed her to plead guilty to manslaughter for Skipper's death in exchange for a testimony against her father. Adult son Scott agreed to testify against Eddie regarding the Hesser murder plot, while Willie agreed to testify regarding the murder of Joel Good. Willie was, was found to have a borderline mentally handicapped IQ. Can I just say, what? This is one fucked up family. They are really weird, aren't they? No, they fucked up <laughs> is what they are. Well, he was further judged unfit to stand trial due to serious psychiatric problems. Fucked up. And was ordered to a mental health facility for treatment. His condition was stabilized, and Willie eventually testified. The first trial was for the murder plot against Ray Hesser. Eddie eventually accepted a plea bargain and was sentenced to 15 years for conspiracy to commit kidnapping and murder. Eddie was found guilty after less than three hours of deliberation and sentenced to death on November 2, 1994. Jurors say the librarian 
Gail Novak's testimony was the most important evidence. Pixie, she was sentenced to six years for manslaughter. Six Willie, years for killing her daughter. Or killing her son. Her son. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Willie pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 25 years. Oh, but he was sentenced to 25 years. Yeah, for killing Sex- Joel. Dis- sexist anyone? I don't know, but... Sexist against the Because he killed Joel Good, and she killed... The baby. The, ba- the, the innocent. The son. Yeah, I don't get it. But um, Estella May was sentenced to two years in prison for abusing Luna, but during a second trial... For over a dozen abuse charges against other children, she was sentenced to life in prison for accessory to rape. Eddie then had a retrial, and he was sentenced to the same thing, to death, on November 18, 1998. But, of course, he died of natural causes while in prison. What natural cause? I'm not sure, but it was at Florida's Union Correctional Institution. I think it was pure skankness. I bet you it was. No, this one was. Wait a second. In October 2017, Estella May Warren also died of natural causes at the age of 70. That's weird, isn't it? That's weird, ain't it? No, it ain't weird. Oh, not hers. His his it is because he died before execution. Who knows? I just think this skank. Okay. That's all I've got for you there, folks. That was a lot. Was it a lot to take in, sir? It almost didn't fit. A lot. Are you ready to get into yours, Stanley? Sure am. Okay. That's all that I've got for you. You just said that. Well, that's all I've got for you, folks. And you said it four times now. Well, if I think it's your turn. (laughs) I really like that story. (laughs) Thank you so much. How did you ever come about that story? I don't know. You know, I was just crawling through the people, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect. Well, looking from the outside, the Coons family, they seemed like any other. But just take a little bit of a closer look. On the inside. Guess what? It revealed they were anything but normal. But what is normal? I don't know. We don't really know normal. That's subjective. That is right. Okay. Well, incest. Filthy living quarters. Hoarding. A huge amount, like $22,000 worth of hidden money. And an obsession with those... Dirty movies. Is that normal? So you just described you in your 20s. I described me now, except for the money. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Except for the money. (laughs) Well, that was this family. On July the 4th of 1987, four of the members of the Coons family were murdered in their Wisconsin home. Wisconsin. It's not Wisconsin. Okay, Wisconsin. Thank you. Wisconsin. Yeah. That better? Wisconsin? Thank you. I'm sorry for putting it in Wisconsin. Continue. The fifth resident of the house wasn't anywhere to be found. 
No one could figure out who killed the Coons family. Before their deaths, you see, they lived a very secluded and isolated life. A lot of people believe that the murders were the work of Chris Jacobs III, a local, small-time criminal who knew the Coonses from buying and selling old cars. However, Jacobs was eventually found not guilty due to a lack of concrete evidence. Other Coons family murders facts suggest that the murders were committed by Helen, the missing family member who had purchased bullets a few weeks before her disappearance. Give me back my bullets. (laughs) Okay, well, on July the 4th, 1987, the Coons family was murdered in their sleep. Once their Independence Day fireworks had ended, all was calm in the quiet towns of Athens, Wisconsin. It was a warm summer night, and the town's 1,000, or give or take a few residents, had returned to their homes to rest and sleep. That's exactly you whenever you fall asleep. I know. (laughs) Suddenly, the silence was broken when someone crept into the ramshackle farmhouse where the Coons family lived and murdered them in their beds. (laughs) The next morning, Clarence Coons, who was 76 years old, Irene Coons, 81 years old, Marie Coons, 72 years old, and Randy Coons, 30 years old, were found with 22 caliber bullet holes in their heads. Kenneth Coons, Randy's brother, was the first person to discover the carnage. Well, to make the matters worse, Kenny noticed that his mother, Helen, was missing from the home, and he had no idea where she could be. Oh, no. If you would like to see their house from the outside. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's like. Right. Exactly. It's definitely. Exactly. The Coons' house was barely fit to live in. It was, shall we say, crappy, skanky. Horrific. Horrific. Yeah. There was no running water. Ooh, You know how stank they'd be? And the only heat source was a single wood-burning stove that the family apparently also used for cooking. All of the Coonses were hoarders <laughs> and trash littered every corner of the rotting estate. And it was rotting. We'll have pictures. Despite the unkempt interior of the farmhouse, the Coons did have a few modern conveniences. Now, they did not have a toilet to poo-poo. And PP in. They had an outhouse. An outhouse. Yes. But guess what they did have? They had a television and a VCR. Did they really? Yep. Wow. When the home was searched after the murders, an enormous library of sexually explicit videotapes and magazines were found. You know all about that. The police believed that the Coons watched adult films together as a family. That's not weird. 
Well, it was family movie night. <laughs> Is that not what you, you want do? To call it that. But... Is that not what you watch? No. Oh. <laughs> okay. That's all you. This hypothesis was furthered by a remark Helen had made to a store clerk a few weeks prior to her disappearance. While purchasing an electric toaster, you go girl purchasing an electric toaster. She mentioned that she was angry with her family for watching dirty old damn movies on the VCR. You want me to repeat? No, I'm okay. Gonna- it seems, though, the Kuntzes were much closer than most families. Were they now? It seems as though the Kuntzes practiced romantic as well as familial love with one another. Prior to their deaths, Helen slept in the same bed as her adult son, Randy. And by adult, I mean old ass son. Yeah. Because remember, she was 70. Oh my God. <laughs> and Clarence, Marie, and Irene all slept together in the living room. Theresa. <laughs> party in the house. Party in the house. Party in your pants. Take off the pants. While this isn't necessarily questionable, rumors surrounding Kenny's parentage further suggest that the Coons family members were very sexually intimate. When Helen became pregnant in 1933, a neighbor named Frank Gums was convicted of raping the then 15-year-old. However, rumors circulated for many a decades that Clarence was the real father, as Helen and Clarence had an unusually close relationship for brother and sister. This rumor was so pervasive that even Kenny himself seemed to believe it. Now, when the bodies were discovered, every Coons family member but Helen was accounted for. Mm -hmm. Had the 70-year-old woman coldly murdered her whole family? I don't think so. Was she even physically capable of committing such an act? Mm Mm-mm. Well, no one seemed to think so, and a search party was quickly formed to locate the woman. They found her. The community rallied around the hope that Helen would someday be found. They created t-shirts and buttons with, Where's Helen? printed on the front. And, Family Love, or Nothing's Better Than Family, or, Incest Incest Rules. Rules. (laughs) Or, you do you, we do our family. (laughs) That one was a good one. Yeah. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Unfortunately, her body was discovered nine months after the murders. Guess what? She was also shot in the head like the rest. And she was found near a creek in Medford, Wisconsin. This new grisly piece of evidence only served to further complicate the mystery. Yep, mystery. (laughs) A small-time criminal named Chris Jacobs was initially fingered. (laughs) I'm sorry. Fingered? (laughs) Was he fingered? Yes, for the murder. (laughs) As he had previously interacted with some of the Coonses regarding the purchase of a vehicle. 
Jacobs was pretty much the only non-family member to ever interact with the Coons. And that made him the prime suspect. My throat's so dry, I'm telling you from Vegas, y'all. I'm telling you because we're in the middle of the friggin' desert, dude. We're home now. I have to do a whoop whoop every episode. Oh, my Lord. Anyway, where? (laughs) Oh, he's not here. Okay. Anyway, the trial was brief and ultimately Jacobs was acquitted for lack of evidence. However, his ex-girlfriend, Stacy Weiss, later came forward in 1993 claiming to have heard Jacobs' confession. Stacy Weiss. Stacy Weiss. Jacobs' public defender alleged that Weiss was merely trying to get revenge on Jacobs and called the woman a disgruntled, jilted, scorned ex-girlfriend. Regardless, the evidence was soon presented at trial. Since people cannot be tried twice for the same offense because of double jeopardy, prosecutors needed to find another way, so they charged him with the abduction and imprisonment of Helen. And this time, Jacobs received a 31-year sentence after being found guilty. Cool. Really? Well, the death of the Coons family revealed how reclusive the Klan had actually become. When investigating the incident, the police were unable to find any relatives, friends, or even acquaintances. It felt as though they never spoke to anyone outside their immediate family. All anyone knew was that they were hoarders who lived in a ramshackle house on 108 acres of land. Their house was in shambles. They had no running water. They had no furnace. They only had a burning stove to keep out the cold Wisconsin winters. The decrepit living conditions weren't totally unexplainable, considering none of them held jobs. Yet, strangely, over $20,000 was found stashed throughout the home. Even more strangely, whoever killed the Coons family didn't take the money. Hmm, that's weird. Yeah. Some of which was found in plain sight, just in the open. They could use that to wipe their booty holes with. Yeah. Why did they not take it, though? Obviously, they didn't care about it. A few weeks before the murder, Helen had purchased twenty-two caliber bullets, which were the very same type of ammo used for their murders. During a conversation with the clerk, she said that the bullets were for her son, who was going to kill some pesky blackbirds on their property. While Chris Jacobs was convicted of kidnapping Helen, Helen, this startling detail leaves the possibility open that maybe Helen killed her family and took her own life. Even though Kenneth Coons was the person who discovered and reported the murders, it quickly became clear that he was not a suspect. Although Kenny was the only Coons family member to hold a job, he had a notably low IQ. He was painfully shy, even though he was 55 years old. Okay? He had little edge and no motive. Anna and Ignatz Coons, the parents of Helen, Irene, Clarence, and Marie, had experienced a similar trauma early on in their marriage. Well, in December of 1905, they were living with Ignat's mother, mother, Mary, in a home in Manitowoc. 
Wisconsin. One night, Anna returned home from work to discover that Ignatius's brother, Wenzel, had bludgeoned Mary to death in her bed. Mental illness was rampant in the Coons family. Okay, Ignat's older brother had spent a good portion of his life in a mental institution. After he mur- murdered his mother, Wenzel joined his brother in the asylum. Family get-together, you know, like a really? reunion. Yes. Um, there is a book called Blood Relative Portrait of a Mass Murder. It was written by Milwaukee Sentinel reporter Crocker Stevenson, and it includes a ton of details regarding the incident that were never previously released. Stevenson's book documents the individual autopsy report for each victim. The book also features photographs of the Coons family prior to the murders. And that's all there is. I mean, it's still considered unsolved, but I think the Helen did it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Who do you think did it? I don't freaking know, dude. Anybody. So it was you. Anybody. No, anybody. But I don't know if it was Helen. I think it was Helen, though. I think she got tired of doing her family. She got tired of the dirty movies. She shot herself. Well, I mean, what you going to live for? I mean, you got a freaked up family. Be watching. What if she killed somebody? Uh, what if she killed all of them? And then shot herself. And then somebody else shot No, her. I think that she killed them and then she shot herself. Okay, we'll go with that. Okay, Anyways, so, that's all that we got. No, it ain't. No. So what would you rather live in? What? My, um, um, yeah, mine. Again. I so you'd like to live in that, is that no, what you're saying? No, I wouldn't like living. I'm sorry, we I'm were saying, such a bad family for I not being not, that family. I would not want to live. I just couldn't live in a hoarder house like that. I couldn't do it. Well, personally, I couldn't be incestuous with everyone. Well, I mean, I think that that's what both of our cases were based on. I know, about, so I'm incestual. saying I would be the one Coons person that lived in the trailer. <laughs> And that's where I stand. You see who doesn't have a dirty mind. And that's me. No, I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't say. He said yours. he would love okay, to live no, in I his didn't. family. Both. Wow. Both. Okay. And that's all we've got for no, you wait today. A second. Nope. We're finished. No, we're not. Both were bad, but I wouldn't want to live in a hoarder place. So I right. So I would one. be the one living in the trailer. There was one person Fine. that didn't live in the Fine. house. Nope. Too late. That's oh, all we got man. for you. As always, I have no, been Stan. Done. I have been Stan. And I'm always Jeru. And this has been Bad in the Boondocks, baby. Yeah, I'm not saying that part. <laughs> See ya. You were about to say bye-bye. <laughs> See y'all next time. Bye-bye. The Evidence Locker is a weekly podcast about international true crime. Made by hardcore true crime fans, it's somewhat grungy. Join us as we explore the dark corners of the globe. We've covered cases from Sweden, Brazil, Australia, and the U.S., to mention a few. Find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.